0: Well, if you've been with us, um, we have been walking through um, some different texts, really wrestling with missions, and so it wasn't accidental that that's where we've been, and this is where we are today. Um, As we came to the conclusion of Matthew 28, right, we heard the very words that Tim just cited there, and the Great Commission, to go and to make disciples of all nations. And we followed that up with, looking at Psalm 67, the fact that we have been blessed, and the psalmist says to be a blessing to the nations, that the nations might be glad in God. And so this morning we're going to continue that, um, just kind of a, a maybe a follow-up to understanding what is our role with Tim and Sally? What is our role? You're going to be hearing starting next week uh, about uh, the International uh, Mission Board offering for international missions. And so what is our role as Southern Baptists as we give with other churches to help send missionaries to the nations, right? And so we're asking, how might we partner in sending folks like Tim and Sally? How might we partner as churches in sending international mission boards others? How might we support or how might we honor the Lord, right, to send them in a, in a manner worthy of God? And so I, I think today as we look to God's Word here in Third John, we kind of hear about how we send the right people in the right way and answering some of that. And Maybe you ask, well, what's the big deal or what's the danger? Well, the reality is when it comes to missions, people can have all kinds of different ideas about how the church should best accomplish that. That's exactly what's happening in the letter of 2 John and then the letter of third John. They're both only one chapter, very short, 15 verses, right? So it's something you could go home today and read easily and, and discuss more with family, friends, and others. But here in the letter of Third John, um, there, there's a man by the name of Diotrephes. And Diotrephes is presumably some type of leader in the church. We're not sure exactly. Now, when we take about church, you've got to understand the context, right? They're not gathering in a building the church owns at this point in history. They're gathering in their homes. And so the, they would come, gather in a home. That's where the church would meet to worship because there was no set aside building for that purpose. And, and so 3 John is written to tell the church, hey, here are the kind of people that you should be accepting and supporting in regards to missionaries. Why? Because in 2 John, he's told them the very people they shouldn't accept. Right? And it's talked about there that there's people that have, were a part of the church who went out as missionaries, as teachers, and they began to, in fact, start teaching something that was contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said they haven't held firm to that truth. They've denied that Jesus Christ actually came in the flesh, and they're after all of this great knowledge and all these things, and they're, they're missing or distorting the truth of the gospel. And so when John writes 2 John, he says, don't welcome people like that. But now as he comes to Third John, he's saying, guys, here is how we support missionaries in a manner worthy of God. And so this morning, that's what we're going to look at and talk about how can we support biblically faithful missionaries? It's both our responsibility and our opportunity to join the work, right? So supporting biblically faithful missionaries as a church is our responsibility, and it's also our opportunity to join the work. John kind of sets before us several questions, right? Right. I think one question he asked or maybe he sets says before us, is, is what is a biblically faithful missionary? Like, what do they even look like? Secondly, like, what's our responsibility to missionaries? Third, what does supporting missionaries say about us? And then finally, I think John kind of asked the question, who are you imitating, church? Whose example are you following? So let's walk through that this morning, kind of wrestling with that. Supporting missionaries is in a manner worthy of God. How do we do that? The first question is this, what is a biblically faithful missionary? What is a biblically faithful missionary? And I think this, a biblically faithful missionary proclaims and lives the truth. In other words, a biblically faithful missionary does not undo with their lives what they proclaim with their lips, right? And listen, the reality is this, if you hear this today and think that we're only talking about missionaries and not about ourselves, you're missing it. Right, Tim's been really clear on that, that we are all disciples who are called to make disciples. Now, some specifically will leave here, maybe long-term or short-term, as missionaries. But then the reality is we are all called to go and make disciples. But a, a biblically faithful missionary is someone who not only proclaims the right things about Jesus, they also live it with their lives. So listen to what happens Beginning verse one of third John, the elder to the beloved Gaius or Gaius, right? Pronunciation differs a little there whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. There's some really practical truth, right? It's okay to pray for people's physical health, not only their spiritual health, but also the physical health. Right. We, we, we understand early on that Gaius or Gaius here is um, in, in some type of leadership in the church. We're not sure exactly how much, but he has some responsibility in the church. There's things happening. All right. And so he says, verse three, for I rejoice greatly when the brothers came. All right. So, again, we have early on he's calling, identifying some brothers who have came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking the truth. So he says, listen, there were some guys who were missionaries who went out, who came and showed up at your church, and they've come back now sharing favorable things about you. So John's now writing back to Gaius and saying, hey, buddy, I heard about the way that you treated the brothers that came, the missionaries that came to you, right? So he's affirming that. He says, indeed, you're walking the truth. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. Now hear that quickly, right? He identifies that these brothers that have come, he calls them strangers. So the reality is the church doesn't know them. It isn't like people like Tim and Sally who we've known and walked beside for years. He says, these are people that have come to you, strangers, outsiders, and yet you've welcomed them. And listen to what it does. It says, they testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. <clears throat> Notice, again, what, what John writes here. He says in verse 7 that these, these missionaries who came to you, he says, if you listen, he says, I want you to do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out, and the reason they went out is what? For the what? The sake of the name. If you're with us back on July 4th, we actually talked about the sake of the name. That God's name has worth, right? When we say worthy are you, it's saying that, that, that your name has weight, it has value, God. And, and so when we talk about the sake of the name, it's so when Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, and he also, right, Mark, Luke, others pick up on this, they kind of cite the similar story. They, he talks about, he says, listen, there's going to be people, my disciples, who are going to leave Greensburg, Kentucky, so to speak going to leave their homes, their families, fathers and mothers. Maybe at some point, sons and daughters. This isn't speaking of abandonment, right? That parents should just leave and abandon their children. That's not what Jesus is teaching there. But there may be a point at which children grow up, right? And parents are no longer responsible for them in the same way that they would go out and leave. He says they leave homes and lands. He says, and those who do so are going to receive a hundredfold in this life and eternal life in the life to come. And so Jesus talked about, he says, the reason why they would do that, he says, is for the sake of the name, that the name of Christ is of more worth than anything else. I I was studying some this week and read the story of a young lady who had gone out, it's probably 20 plus years ago now, but she went out, she was single early on, uh, early college age. She left America, went to a dangerous country, a place the reality is it's probably hard to even get a believer into today. And she went, knowing that the reality was, even at that time, that she could likely be killed or kidnapped, something else heinous could happen to her. And the question was to this young lady, why are you going? And she says, the reality is this. The gospel is worth more than marriage, more than the best job, more than being close to my parents. The gospel, what Christ has done, is worth even my own life. And so that's what we hear right here. They have gone out for the sake of the name. They've they've left and gone out. They've they've left their family, left their home, their their home place, and they've gone out for the sake of the name. And notice what John says about them in verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers. And notice what he says here. We are workers for the truth the truth is something that John continually talks about. Um, i think it's about maybe seven eight times in these 15 verses you'll hear the word truth being mentioned. if you read throughout first john he's always talking about truth, the truth, the truth. now we hear god or, or john talking, right, to us about the truth in first john chapter 1 verse 8. listen what he says. if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, what's the truth there? He's saying, well, the truth is an acknowledgement of sin, that you and I are not holy and perfect people, but God is. And so there's a realization of who is God and who am I, that we are separated from God. And he says, listen, for those who say that we don't have any sin or that I'm just a good person or that all roads ultimately lead home, he says that is deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. So how do you come to the truth? Well, verse nine tells us we confess what we confess our sins. And he says, guess what? The good news is when you confess your sins to God, he is a faithful God to forgive and to justify or to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness, from all of your sin. That's the truth of the gospel. The gospel says that we're not good people, right? We talk about the gospel being good news. Well, it's good news if you hear and receive it. It's also bad news because it declares that you and I won't make it to God as we are, that we're sinful and separated from him. And if you keep ignoring that, John says you're deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. The truth of the gospel is is that we must confess our sins and the only hope in that confession is that there's a gospel that says the Son of God came and lived a sinless life and He dies on the cross bearing our sin and shame. Therefore, we have a confession to make. What's that confession? I'm not good, but He is. I'm putting my faith and trust not in my own works, but in the work of Jesus Christ, perfect life and death in my place. That's the truth of the gospel. And so John writes that there in 3 John saying that these are fellow workers for the truth. They're proclaiming the true gospel. The exact thing that the people in 2 John weren't doing. And so I think it's important, right, as we wrestle with the truth, is that we need to ask as we support missionaries, what do they believe? Right, and we're encouraged today the fact that we have people from our own congregation. Right, we know Tim and Sally. We've been able to walk beside them. We've been able to have conversations about how do you understand the gospel, how do you see the church, what do you look at when you think about missions? Those are important conversations to have. Right, I mean, you, you, for many of us, we may have been lulled to sleep in the fact that we're a part of the cooperative program, and so you just immediately red stamp everybody that you hear about that's a part of the International Mission Board. Why? Because you're trusting. That somewhere along the way, those people who applied as missionaries sit down and had conversations with people to say, help me understand how do you see the gospel? We're trusting that they believe as we believe, right? They're affirming the Baptist faith and message. They're holding sound doctrine and true doctrine. That's important. And so listen, that's what he says. These are fellow workers for the truth. So if we're going to talk about missions and giving and supporting missionaries, we need to know what is a biblically faithful missionary? And John says here that there are those who understand the truth. They proclaim the truth. But it's not only that. Notice what else John says about them. Back here, rewind the text just a little bit. For I rejoice greatly. Verse 3, when the brothers came and testified your truth. Notice what he says about them. As indeed you're walking in the truth. He says in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking the truth. This word walking indicates a lifestyle. It's saying this is the way they live. That living the Christian life isn't about just going before the church at one point in time or going into a baptistry and confessing that and being get your life stamped and then go right on any way you want to live. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that true disciples are those who are walking in the truth. It is a present continuous. It is a way of life to live in the truth. And so, again, you'd say, well, well, Blake, when he says that, though, he's writing to Gaius and he's talking about he and those in the church. You're right. But listen to what he says in verse five. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your effort for these who? These brothers. They're identified as fellow believers in Christ. And so the assumption is, right, that those who have gone out for the sake of the name are those who are living out the sake of the name. They're living out the good confession. They're walking in the truth. I think it's important as we look at missionaries and who we support, right? We need to be saying, wow, do we see some of their lifestyle reflecting things like what we hear about 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1, the, the responsibility or roles of elders and pastors. Why? Because we want people of high character, don't we? It's invaluable. Like, I mean, those who go out as missionaries, listen, they have a responsibility. They're teaching and preaching and proclaiming the truth of the gospel, So we hope that their character is going to match up to what they're proclaiming, right? That's the very thing that often happens, right? When we think about those who are pastors and deacons, those lists. He doesn't talk about all the things that they do. Why? Because he assumes there's people in the church that can do a lot of things. But he says, no, what I want you to focus on is their character. So therefore, as, as a biblically faithful church who's looking to support biblically faithful missionaries, we need to be looking at what does their life say? Not only what do they believe, but are they living out this truth? So it's important and helpful, right? And again, we're encouraged to have Tim and Sally and folks that we know. But our hope and prayer is that time goes on, God will continue to raise up others. And we'll have more opportunities to support people and people we may not know as well. So we have to do the hard work of trying to walk beside one another and get to know them. And so again, that's the first truth, I think, is what is a biblically faithful missionary? It's someone who proclaims and lives the truth. But secondly, I think the church has a responsibility in this, right? Not just to simply um, identify who is a biblically faithful missionary, but I think we have a responsibility to say this. A biblically faithful church supports biblically faithful missionaries. A biblically faithful church. Right now, I hope that's what we want to be. John says if that's the case, then a biblically faithful church supports biblically faithful missionaries. Listen to what happens here, uh, beginning in verse 6. John says, who testified to your love before the church. So again, those guys came back telling about your love for them, how you showered them with such love and kindness. Um, He says, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner. Notice what he says here, a manner worthy of God. So it's interesting, John says that they are to send them, right? This word send is used throughout the New Testament, typically in this type of context to describe financial support that you're going to give some type of physical help to these people, whether it's clothing, it's shelter, it's food, it's water, right? It's giving finances to help them further on their journey, right? We see this word used in places like Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, where Paul writes and he says, Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. That statement on their way, it's ascending. Notice what he says, See that they what, church? Lack nothing. He expects the church has a responsibility and those that they are sending out to provide for them. Now, well, listen, we, we can obviously contextualize this today to Tim and Sally, our responsibility. We can contextualize as we think about the International Mission Board and our offering coming up. But listen, guys, we have the responsibility as we will send out people. Tim alluded to it, Tucky Changers, Oklahoma. The responsibility of the church is to help send the people on the way. So I want to I want to say that I'm thankful that this church has been really faithful to do that. This is a giving place. So just be really honest. Like it, it's encouraging to see, man. When there is opportunities for people to go on missions, there is people that rise up to say, "I want to be a part of that." I may not be going with you physically, but I want to support you. And so, man, I, just think about that. Right? We think about maybe. Uh, future investments we will have. We may be have to get more buses. Why? Because we need reliable transportation as we send people out. It's just the responsibility of the church to continually give, to help support. Why? Because we want people to come to know Jesus. Amen. And because of that, we can't stay in these walls. We must go out there. And when we go out there, guess what? It's going to cost money, it's going to cost time, it's going to cost a lot of these things, and the church has a responsibility to help support one another. And so he says, listen, again, let our people learn to devote themselves to the good works so as to help cases of urgent need. Right. It would sure indicate that as missionaries go out, not only in the church as a whole, but as missionaries go out, they're going to have moments of urgent need. I want to encourage him and Sally to feel like, hey, I got a church that I can reach out to and say, we got an urgent need. Something's come up. Could you guys pray about giving? Right. Consider what it might look like to help us in our need. It's the responsibility of the church. But again, back here in verse 6, look what he says. You will do well to send them on their journey, and he talks about it, it's in a manner worthy of God. That statement, worthy of God, or worthy of the Lord, happens about six times in the New Testament. And it's throughout those different moments of trying to understand, what does it mean to send someone on their way in a manner worthy of God how can we send Tim and Sally how can we help support the international mission boards how can we help send Kentucky changers or Oklahoma right how could we the local projects right when Kyle and other guys are going out how can we do that in a manner that's worthy of God what does that even mean notice what he says here in Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 so as to walk in a manner notice the statement there it is worthy of the Lord or worthy of God the same thing you've heard there in third John full notice what he says about it fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of god i think that statement there, fully pleasing to him gives some type of clarity what it means to walk worthy of the lord or to send someone in a manner worthy of god it's to please god and the question you have to ask is how do you and i please god wrestle with it for a moment think about that how do you please god I think Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 answers it. And without faith, it is what? Impossible to please Him, to please God. So how do we please God? It's faith. It's faith. It's not ever our works, right? Now, those honor and glorify God, absolutely. But guys, at the heart of it, it it is the faith. It is the trust in God. So when we talk about sending people in a manner worthy of God, it is an indication. It's an act of faith. And so guess what? For some of you, as you think about giving, right, it's going to have to be an act of faith. Maybe financially things right now aren't for you as green as they once were, right? I mean, being there in Africa with those brothers, man, the the church there is struggling. And I know they would desperately ask for your prayers. The the men that were there, about 15 pastors that we got to train, they're all shepherds. And, man, they're farmers. And I just thought, man, when I hear them talking, some of this stuff, I thought about some of you guys. I could see almost your faces. But less what? At different times they would have to leave late in the afternoon or early in the morning. Why? Because they would have to take their flock and try to find fields. Why? Because they're in the midst of a great drought. The previous rainy season didn't bring the, the, the rain that they needed. And if you ride around their area, everything there is dry and dead. They're struggling to find water. The mission uh the, the, the translator that was there with us, just a phenomenal man of God. He's gone out to plant the church and man, just a great brother. He's already lost six animals have died just because there's no food there's no there's no opportunity there and so i i know that the brothers there and sisters in ilma men uh there in africa i i know they would covet your prayers and so as i think about it right it's a reminder that without faith it's impossible to please god and just keep trusting right it's faith trusting in the lord so again it's our giving our support it's an expression of our faith Right. So as you think about how you'll give and again, I talked about those brothers and their financial hardship. Right. The reality is many of those guys were struggling, struggling to be able to, to pay for class that week or to play, pay for food. And they're, they're just in a really hard spot. Some of you may be in a hard spot. I, I want to challenge you and encourage you maybe for you this year. It's just, hey, uh, I'm going to give up going out to eat one night this week. I'm going to stay home and I'm, I'm going to eat a sandwich. And I'll have that money, and it may be $10 this year, but I'm going to have $10 to give to the Lottie Moon, or I'm going to have 5 to give to, to, to like Tim and Sally. I don't know what it's going to be. For others of you, man, you're in a really green season. Things have struggled all around, but God has blessed you. I, I want to challenge you and encourage you. What does faith look like in this season for you to give? Maybe above and beyond that might stretch you, that might challenge you, that might cause a sacrifice for you. I think that's what Paul is is, is writing about there in Colossians, like the writer of Hebrews is talking about. I think here in 3 John, it's a manner worthy of God. It's an act of faith as we give, as we support. It's an act of faith on our part. So I want to encourage you and compel you. I want to challenge your faith and my faith. How might God move our hearts to give out of faith this year? Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. So again, why do these missionaries need support? Well, look what he says here. For they've gone out for the sake of the name. Notice what he says about them, though. Here's the reason why Paul's saying they need, or John says they need such help. They're accepting nothing from the Gentiles. The Gentiles, maybe your translation says nothing from the pagans. It's the unbelievers, right? I I was recently looking at um, uh, the the CEO of Amazon, his wife, and, you know, She was giving all this money, billions of dollars. I don't know if it was like, it was multiple millions of dollars a day. But the reality is when you look through that list, no offense, I didn't see Tim and Sally's name on there, right? The International Mission Board's probably not showing up on those type of things. Why? Because unbelievers aren't looking to give to the cause of the gospel. Now, there are exceptions to that, but uh, typically that's not what's happening. So whose responsibility is it to send missionaries? The church. It's ours. It's our responsibility. He says they're accepting nothing from the Gentiles. The reality is, right, I mean, as Paul talked about that, he would never preach it. Right? Can you imagine today if we send Tim and Sally out and we say, hey, I want you guys to go as missionaries. They show up in their first village to come and proclaim the gospel. And they say, well, well, could you guys pay for our lunch? And could you guys give about $1,000 to help for our vehicle? And we need some help with some taxes and some help with some visas. Can you imagine how that would convolute the gospel? No, the responsibility is places like Greensburg Baptist Church and other believers are to gather along them and say, hey, we're going to help carry that financial support. That's what's so great about the cooperative program. As we give together Southern Baptist Churches, we are sending missionaries to the nations. They don't have to show up and say, could you guys give us some financial support so that we can proclaim the gospel? No, we proclaim the gospel free of charge. Why? Because if we aren't careful, our methods can't can muddy our message. I, I remember, um, it was, I guess my first international mission trip to Honduras, and we, we were doing a medical clinic. We were partnering with another church um, down south, and it, it was a great work. They let us join their team. And, um, and so part of how it worked was is folks would come in, and we had a large tent and an opportunity to preach the gospel to them. They had to hear the gospel preached before they could go through the clinic. It, it made great sense, but here's what often began to happen is that people started coming forward, responding to the invitation, so to speak. Why? Because they assumed that if they did so, it would automatically get them to the front of the line or guarantee the medicine they need, or it might earn them favor in getting extra rice and beans. Now listen, our our intent was, and we were doing our best, right, to share the gospel, to be as faithful as we could, to try to go about the best way we could. But the reality is when you're dealing with lost people and you're dealing with things, things can often get sideways really easy. And so, so it is when it comes to money. And so I think John reminds us here that the safeguard for missionaries is the church supporting them. In fact, guess what? You don't need me to tell you what the application for the message is today. John tells you, look what he says, verse 8. Therefore, we ought to what? Support people like these. John just really clear, like, I love it. Like, that's the application. Therefore, right? So they're not taking money from the non believers. Therefore, the responsibility of the church is we ought to, he says, support people like these. Again, we could talk about like these there and say it's not anyone and everyone, right? Um, what they believe and how they understand the gospel. But it's important, right? So again, uh, I think those are some just important things. What is a biblically faithful missionary? The responsibility of the church. A biblically faithful church supports biblically faithful missionaries. Three, what does supporting missionaries say about us? John says it's our opportunity to join the work. So what is being a part of this? What does it say about us? John says this, guys, is our opportunity to join the work. Look what he says in verse 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that or so that... We may be, notice what he says here, fellow workers for the truth. John says that in an amazing way that when you and I give, that we are a part of the mission. Even though we may not all be goers, right, as we give, we are a part of that mission. It shows our participation in the gospel. It's an amazing thing, right, that God uses, right? There's a declaration that you make as you pull out a pocketbook and, and you give or you write that check or you sign up to be an ongoing, consistent giver, right? I mean, there's a reminder that you have become a fellow worker for the truth as you give an offering each week. I know we're not passing the plate like we once did, but each week I hope that you're giving, right, encouraging you. As, as, as Paul writes, he said that each, each week they should set aside a certain sum of money, right, to be given to the local church. Why? Because we want to encourage you. That's a way in which you participate in the mission. So that's what he writes here. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, missionaries like this, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. The year was 1792. The man was by the name of William Carey. He became known as the father of modern missions. He was feeling compelled by the power of the Holy Spirit, he and others, to go to India to take the gospel to them. At 1793, there about a year after, they're having this commissioning service, this time of praying and sending them out. And at the end of the day, we're going to have Tim and Sally come forward. We're going to pray over them and, and ask God to bless and use them. But it was in that farewell meeting that the leaders of society got together and they talked to William Carey and the others, and they said, "Listen, as long as you go out in our name and the name ultimately of the Master, let let you know that we shall never cease till death to stand by you." Andrew Fuller was one of those men that was there that day, and. He came up with an analogy I thought was absolutely beautiful. He says, when we think about missions and these men that were going to India, it was like sending them out in an unexplored mine. We would drop them down over the bluff and they would be holding the rope and we began to lower them down deep into the darkness that they might begin to expose and bring the light. Kerry says to them, if I will go down as long as you hold the rope for me. It was Andrew Fuller who said that began to be a great description of what it looked like for us. That as long as those brothers were going out proclaiming the gospel as missionaries, our responsibility was to hold the rope. And in some way, that's what's continuing to happen. Every year as we gather as a church taking up offerings, whether it's for North American missions or international missions or Eliza Broadus, right, or or state missions and different things, when we take up these offerings, as we support missionaries, what are we doing We're saying that as you guys go, we're going to be faithful to hold the rope. And also, I hope we're willing to say, you know what? There may come a day when I'll say to a brother or sister beside me, would you keep holding the rope? I need to go down, too. This gospel must go into the depth of the darkness and shine the light of the gospel. I want to ask you specifically and then maybe ask us as a church, who are we holding the rope for? Who are you specifically? Think about your own life. Who are you holding the rope for? How is your life right now organized in a way that you are financially supporting those who are going out to take the gospel of the nations? So we've tried to answer what's a biblically faithful missionary? What's the responsibility of the church? What's supporting missionaries say about us? It's our opportunity to join the work. And then I think last thing John just simply would ask, who are you imitating? Who are you imitating? Our actions reveal our true identity. Our actions reveal our true identity. Listen to what he says, beginning in verses 9 through uh, about 11 or 12. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Well, listen about our our friend here, Diotrephes. Diotrephes, notice about him, he likes to put himself first. That's not a compliment. Could I ask, when it comes to the church, would Diotrephes' life and example be would be what you're imitating. When it comes to church, you like to put yourself first. It's about the songs that you like. It's about the message the way you like it. It's the classes the way that you like it. It's the missions the way that you like it. It's they do what you like. John Warren's here. Diotrephes, likes to put himself first. I'll just be honest, it's convicting, man. It's a struggle of mine. It's not anything new. I'm not pulling any punches. I've said it the whole time I've been here. That's a struggle for me, it's pride constantly wars within my flesh I have to battle it I like to put myself first not only here I like to put myself first in the home I like to put myself first basically about anywhere I am that's just my flesh I don't know if you struggle with that I know others in this congregation man God's just given you a great deal of mercy there's humility sometimes I tell my wife like man I just love being around that brother because he is so humble and meek and it's not what I am and I keep thinking I just want to be more like him God But he likes to put himself first. He says he doesn't acknowledge our authority. John says there's going to be some accountability when he comes. But notice what he's doing. He refuses to welcome the brothers. He refuses to welcome these missionaries. And he stops those who want to in the church, and he puts them out of the church. So obviously he's in some type of major leadership role that he is putting people out of the church. He's refusing to welcome missionaries. And listen to what he says. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. In other words, don't be like Diotrephes, be like Gaius. That's what he's saying. And so I think it's a reminder, guys, and and, I, and I've said this before. Man, we are blessed in this church to have some faithful saints. And it, it, and it, I'll just, just be really transparent with you. It's one of my joys to bring my kids here. Because I love getting to put them around people like you guys. Because they're our faithful servants in there. There are humble brothers and sisters. There are people who are old that have served a really long time well. There are new believers who are zealous for the gospel. There are some of you that have such gifts of knowledge and wisdom. Some of you are so meek and humble. Some of you are so hungry to share the gospel and have missions. There's some of you like there's just these different things. And I realized, man, I want my kids to be around people like that. I want them to see and experience that. I want them to follow the example of Gaius and not Diotrephes. So I want to ask you, how much are you leveraging your daily life to invest your family here as a part of the church? that your children, that your family, that your own soul. Come on. Maybe you say, Blake, I'm single. I, I, or my family, my kids are own. Man, your own soul. You need other brothers and sisters. Iron sharpens iron. We need one another. Amen, church? And we are blessed to be in a congregation with some brothers and sisters who have labored long and faithfully. It is a gift. But if we ignore that, man, we're missing it. And the danger is we might start following diatrophies. Because you're not going to get that example out there. It is the example of the Christian who is speared with, filled with the Spirit of God, who's going to compel you to imitate God and not evil. Listen to what he says the warning is this whoever does good is from God, whoever does evil has not seen God. So I want to ask by the way that you live your life, have you seen God? God, guys, he just compels them to follow the example of those like Gaius. And might we just end the day by just saying, why in the world as a church and individuals and people like Tim and Sally and all the other missionaries as we think about the International Mission Board and giving to that upcoming, why? Why are they doing Why are they going? Why? Because I think the reality is we realize that our God is a missionary God. Our God is a missionary God who sent his only begotten son Why? Because he loved the world. He didn't desire that you would perish or that I would perish, that our families would perish, the people of Greene County would perish, the people of Dubai would perish, the people in little bitty Ilma men would perish. God has a desire to save people and to rescue us from our sins. Our God is a missionary God, a God who left his throne in heaven, came, was born in a manger, lived a perfect life, was rejected and mocked and jeered, went on that cursed cross, was buried. And on the third day, by the power of God, he was raised again to declare that whosoever will may come to him and receive the pardon and forgiveness of sins our God is a missionary God and when we see our missionary God we become a missionary people we realize that we are those who receive this grace and mercy we must now respond and go I'm compelling you young men and women today hear the voice of the Lord speaking through his word calling you even now stirring your heart to begin to think about how might I go to the nations others of you God stirring your heart to think about how you might give I want to compel you to be faithful to that, brothers and sisters. Be faithful. I want to compel others of you, again, as the Spirit of God moves, you need to realize, first and foremost, that you need to know this missionary God. That He came and He died for you, and it's all of His grace and His mercy. Not of your good works. You've not earned or deserved it. It's the gift of God. Today, would you hear the good news of the Gospel? That you can be forgiven. That you can, as Paul says, have peace with God god peace that means you no longer have to live in fear of death you can be accepted by god not by works but by grace through faith would you put your faith and trust in christ would you pray with me father thank you for the opportunity to preach and proclaim your word god i pray now that you would strengthen us as a church to be faithful to support missionaries Those that we know here who we see their faces like Tim and Sally. Those who, Lord, we may not see their faces, but we are going to give faithfully as the different offerings throughout the years come about. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have to support and to be a part of the work. Thank you, God, for that opportunity. Strengthen now, Lord God, this congregation to be faithful to the task that we might be a biblically faithful church that supports biblically faithful missionaries. I pray this for the glory of Christ. Amen.